0: Thank you so much for singing. Great to see you again today. Let's take our Bibles now and go to Revelation 8. I'm going to go ahead and kind of warn you that the next, like, three or four sermons out of Revelation are not exactly happy ones. We are in the middle of the tribulation. Now, now, not right now. (laughs) But in Revelation chapter 8, we we are quite literally heading right into the Middle of the tribulation or the great tribulation period. And what we've seen so far is we've seen that in heaven, John is there. John has been translated into heaven in and in a, in a bit of a caught up in, in a vision where he is now seeing God's judgment unfold on the earth in a time that we know in the Bible called the great tribulation. And John is witnessing this, and, and, and the way it all started was that John saw in heaven someone asking the question, who is worthy to open up the scroll? Now, we know that person is Jesus, right? And what was in the scroll, it was a, it was a, a scroll, a document, and it was sealed on the outside with seven seals. And as Jesus and the angels are now going to open up these seals... What is contained inside the scroll is God's plan of judgment in the end of the world. So now we are coming up to chapter 8, and we're down to that seventh seal. And what happens when the seventh seal is opened, God is going to literally roll out the scroll, and now we're going to see a series of seven trumpets and seven vials or bowls, And these are the instruments through which God is going to visualize what is going to happen at the end of time. Are y'all with me so far? Somebody please help me up here. Okay. So so what is happening is what we call the tribulation. And and now we come to this place where the seventh seal is about to be opened. Let me just read the first few verses once again just to kind of ramp up and then we'll get started. Verse one. When he opened the seventh seal, there it is. There was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. So the seventh seal opens, the angels of judgment stand in at attention, they are given seven trumpets, and now what's going to happen? They're going to sound off these trumpets, and with every trumpet is another level of judgment that God is going to exact on this earth. And before this party starts, watch this, there's a moment of silence. That's the title of my message this morning, a moment of silence. Now, you may remember last year in the AFC uh, 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 football league, there was was a real battle for first place. Of course, we ultimately know who won that battle, of course, Uh, but... Toward the end of the season, the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals played in a high-stakes game on Monday night, and in that game, uh, the Buffalo Bills' safety, DeMar Hamblin, fell over after a collision in cardiac arrest. Now, we, whether you're a football fan or not, you are surely aware that this happened. Of course, that's not always entirely true. Uh, I went to Maple Street Biscuit Company a couple months ago, and they always asked you this question to receive your order, and the question of the day was, who would you like to have breakfast with? And I just, without thinking, said, Patrick Mahomes. And the girl looked at me and said, who's that? And I thought, never mind, okay, never mind. But anyways, this game, which was in Cincinnati, which was high stakes, high volume, high intensity cheering, literally stopped on a dime, and according to testimony, for nearly two hours, went completely silent. Just for a second, just stop. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? In a world of noise, in a world of chaos, silence is unusual. Silence are not normal in sports gatherings, concerts, and even church. Usually, when we take a moment of silence at any kind of event, it is because something tragic happened, and the tragedy causes us to pause. And of course, non-believing people don't know what to do in a moment of silence. I think uh, it'd probably be better put, a moment of prayer. I love it when somebody that doesn't know God says, we're sending good thoughts to you. I don't even know exactly how that works, but I think we all get it, right? We understand what happens in a moment of silence. Something sober has happened, something sober is about to happen, and we pause to reflect on what is getting ready to take place. Now, the Bible tells us, for instance, in Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, that there is never ceasing praise in heaven. But here in Revelation chapter 8, for 30 minutes, that praise stops. As God is getting ready to issue out some of the most severe judgments this world has ever seen, Psalm 76, verse 8 says this From the heavens you uttered judgment, the earth feared and was stilled. When God arose to establish judgment to save the humble of the earth, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20 says, But the Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth keep silence before him. And there was this connection in scripture between god's judgment and silence it's like the world pauses and thinks in in a in a church world for instance where everything's always happy and everybody wants to talk about leaving church and feeling great folks sometimes we need to stop we need to pause and we need to realize the gravity of things that are going to happen that are surely going to come to pass in fact In this text, it's even better for the child of God because there's something very unique that takes place about these judgments. Let me read on in verse 3. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. Now, for those of you that may not be familiar with what this is, an altar, of course, was a place of sacrifice, burnt sacrifices. So fire would be consuming sacrifices on an altar. You can read about this in perpetuity in the Old Testament. A censer was essentially like a shovel uh, or, or, or like, a, or like a, a basket, like a copper-type basket. And, and in the Old Testament, when they would grab coals from that altar in a censer, they would take the fire in the censer, the shovel, and they would put incense on top of the fire, and the, and the fire would send up an aroma and a smoke, and it was representat- a representative of people praying before God. Now, that same thing is going to take place here. Watch this. Watch this at verse number three, middle part. He was given much incense. So the angel scoops fire. He's given incense. Watch it. That he should offer it, the incense, with the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar that was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before the God from the angel's hand. So what is taking place here? Everybody pauses. Everybody's paying attention to this scene. The angel walks over to the fire, sticks his shovel in the fire, pulls it out, and on top of that, he puts incense, and that incense is a representation, watch this, of the prayers of God's people. Now watch me. And that is going to burn up as an aroma before God, and then that same angel is going to turn around He's going to take the same sensor. he's going to put it back in the fire, watch this, and he's going to hurl fire at the earth. And you say, whoa, what is happening here? Let me tell you what's happening here. God is going to avenge his people. You want to know what Revelation chapter 8 is all about? Please listen, folks. This is appropriate for all of us. We all need to hear this today. Listen very carefully. God is ultimately going to avenge his people, meaning God's going to get the final word, everybody. When it's all said and done, the picture here in heaven is this. All the prayers of all the saints, especially those who've been martyred during the tribulation, like chapter 6 says, is going to rise up as an aroma into the presence of God. And how is God going to respond? He is going to respond by judging those who for all the ages have taken out their fury on God's people. Folks, listen, God ultimately has our back. And I know sometimes we want justice now, and sometimes we want God to answer things now, and sometimes we want God to act right here and right now. But listen to me, do not lose heart, children of God. He will ultimately avenge his children. Now from this passage, I want you to see three lessons that we can all learn from God avenging his people in the great tribulation. First of all, I want you to see that God, watch it, God answers the prayers of his saints. Listen to me, church. No prayer goes unheard. Psalm 141 verse 2, let my prayer be counted as incense before you, in the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Church, I want to encourage you about something this morning. There is no such thing as a prayer that God does not hear from His child whose heart is right with Him. If there is something on your heart, if there is something that is bothering you, if there is a need in your life, are you listening to me? Pray, 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 pray. Pray, pray. Because no prayer goes unheard. But listen to this. No prayer is ever forgotten. Do you realize, according to Revelation chapter 6 and Revelation chapter 8 and verse 3, that in heaven there is captured in some way, I don't know if it's symbolic or if it is actual, but I'm here to tell you that all the prayers of all the saints, of all the mistreated, is gathered together in the throne of God And ultimately, God is going to do something about it. Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four and the living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding his harp, watch this, and a golden bowl full of incense, which is the prayers of the saints. Revelation chapter 6, verses 10 through 11 When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell upon the earth? This prayer that God is going to answer in the tribulation period is the prayer of God, please make this right. Please don't tell me you've never prayed a prayer like that. That you've ever prayed, God, this isn't making sense. This isn't working out. I don't understand. How could this be true? How could you let them do that? How could you let that be said? How could you let this unfold like that? Church, I'm here to tell you today. God absolutely answers the prayers of his saints one day. Let me make this statement before I move on. Do not mistake God's delay in answering your prayer as his indifference to your situation. I don't know about you folks, I'm glad that God doesn't answer every prayer that I offer at every moment that I offer it. I'm glad that when I pray, according to Romans, excuse me, Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit takes my prayers and offers them up in a bit of a revised version. Because we don't even know, according to the Bible, what we should pray for as we ought. Folks, when I get down on my knees and I offer up some mumbled mess of prayer because I'm broken and hurting and discouraged and and I've been violated, I've been abused, I've been wronged, I might get down in 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 a puddle of tears and mumble a bunch of junk I don't even understand and the Holy Spirit captures it all and goes, God, here's what he's really saying. Or, even better, here's what he should have said. How many of y'all know there are times where you don't even know what to pray for as you ought? There are times when we ask God for things and we, according to James chapter 4, ask abyss for our own comfort, for our own uh, sense of self-worth. And I'm glad to announce to you today that there's a God in heaven that takes every prayer I've offered, stores it up in a golden bowl in heaven, the Holy Spirit has taken it and translated it into God's sense. And all of those prayers that we should have prayed, tried to pray, meant to pray, couldn't pray, one day God is going to pour out his answer on this earth. Every wrong will be right, which leads me to the second truth, and that's this. God always defends the mistreatment of his saints. He always answers the prayer of his saints. But listen, guys, he always defends the mistreatment of his saints. And boy, I've got to tell you, this world has a long track record of mistreating God's people. I think back at the Old Testament. Let me just read a summary version from Hebrews. Which says in Hebrews chapter 34, verse 38 some of these men by faith, listen to this, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release. Others suffered mocking and flogging and chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, listen to this, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in, in the skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. I love this statement. Of whom the world was not worthy. They mistreated Daniel. They mistreated Moses. Folks, I'm telling you, if you're worth two cents trying to do something for God, somebody is going to mistreat you. Somebody is going to malign you. Somebody's going to stand up against you. Come on. Somebody's going to speak out against you. It's just the way the world turns. And then you come to the New Testament. He come to the New Testament, what does Paul say in Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24? Five times I received of the Jews 40 lashes, save one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've been in danger from robbers, from my own people, from the Gentile, from the city, from the wilderness, from the sea, and from false brothers. Folks, God's people have been mistreated. And it's not just Old Testament and New Testament. It's the history of our world. This past week was Reformation Day. Some of y'all call it Halloween. Uh, The rest of us call it Reformation Day. It's the day, the historic day in 1517 where Martin Luther stamped 95 theses on the Roman Catholic Church door pronouncing his disagreement with the sale of indulgences. And he said, here's 95 reasons why indulgences were bad, and it sparked off what we know as the Protestant Reformation. They protested against false doctrine and lifted up Jesus Christ, and so they went back to faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, uh, in the gospel alone, for his glory alone, and in the word alone. This happened historically. You know what happened during the Reformation period? Good people were beaten, killed for the sake of translating the Bible, for one example. John Wycliffe sought to translate the Bible from Latin into English and literally was murdered for that. There's a whole group of people today called the Wycliffe Associates, and they are they are translating the Bible across the world in lands that do not have a copy of the Bible. In 2018, 13 churches were bombed by by Islam in Indonesia, And you know what those people did? They didn't quit. They didn't board up their churches. They asked Wycliffe to keep sending Bibles, keep translating the Word of God. These people are in hiding today. While we sit in the comforts of our chairs and air conditioner here in America, there are people in Indonesia right this very minute in hiding and in secrecy with electronics translating the bible into languages at risk of their life in 2016 they entered into a place where they were literally hand copying the bible and shot up five to ten of these precious christians that were trying to translate the bible folks i'm not talking about something that has just happened one day or yesterday i'm talking about something that right now happens every day of the week except for here Friend, while God's people are mistreated, listen to me very carefully. God's people are never abandoned. We need to remember our awareness of God's judgment is often nearsighted. But hear me, church, there is a final and ultimate dispersing of judgment that will take place on this planet, and it will take place against people who reject God and reject his people. MacArthur said these words, the hot coals of the altar cast on the earth symbolize God's fiery judgments about to descend on the church's enemies in answers to the saints' incense perfume prayers which have just ascended before God. Folks, I'm glad to tell you today that God one day will respond to all this. Luke 18 and verse 7 says this, and God will give justice to his elect that cry to him day and night. Romans chapter 12, verse 19 through 21. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For what does God say? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Do not be overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Folks, I know, believe me, I've experienced this firsthand in more ways than one. The tendency to want to fight back. The tendency to want to snap back, talk back, act back. Folks, listen, vengeance is God's, and he will do a much better job of taking care of our enemies than we ever could. What are we supposed to do? Love our enemies, pray for our enemies, do good to our enemies, not take up some vigilante uh, position and try to execute our own justice. Oh, no, no, we are Christians. We, by faith, wait on the justice of God, and it will come. It will come. For instance, God is ultimately going to do something about every frightened child that has cried out to God because of an abusive mother or father. It is better for a millstone to be hanged around someone's neck and dropped into a sea than to offend a child. And if you are a, 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 an abuser, God Will come back around one day. Every underground church who has prayed through wicked men imprisoning its faithful members, I'm talking about right now in places like China and in Indonesia, if there was a gathering like this, they'd be walking in and shackling up people and putting them in jail. Every widow who has stood by the grave weeping her martyred husband while holding the hands of her fatherless children. There will be a payday someday. Every orphan child whose parents died at the wicked hands of men like Hitler and Bin Laden and Hamas will one day pay. And God is going to be sure of it. Now, folks, I want you to see this now as we get into verse number 7 and see now God exacting his judgment on sinners. But the third and most amazing thing about this whole story is this. He's also extending his grace to sinners. Now, you might look at this and be like, dude, this is nuts. But I'm going to show you by the time I'm done here how much grace you're going to see in this story. So watch this. Look at verse number 7. Now we're going to see the first four of the seven trumpet judgments. Again, this is the Great Tribulation. What is going to happen in the Great Tribulation? Well, they're going to sound trumpets, which were often warnings and announcing warfare in the Old Testament. And they are going to be announcing four different judgments that are going to happen during the Tribulation period. Judgment number one. Look, if you will, at verse 7. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed mingled with blood and they were thrown to the earth and a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up interestingly enough every trumpet in chapter 8 happens to nature nothing happens to humans directly now you get to chapter 9 it's a different story What happens in the first trumpet? What's going to happen in the tribulation period? God is going to rain down fire from heaven, and it's going to burn up one-third of the vegetation on this planet, and that will have seriously devastating consequences. Now, I know there are lots of activists today that are doing their very best to preserve trees and natures, and I look, that's fine, do whatever you want to do, but one day, a big old fireball is going to take it all out. Number two, verse number eight, then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain. Notice, that, notice the wording there, something like a great mountain. What is John doing here? He's trying to describe something he's never seen before. You ever, you ever said something like that? Man, I saw this, and it was like something like this. That's what John's saying. By the way, this happens often in the book of Revelation. John is going to try to describe something that he's never seen before. So what does he say? I saw like... A giant mountain on fire getting hurled into the ocean. Most Bible scholars believe, and I agree, that this is a giant meteorite or asteroid that so often people fear today, right? I think there was a scare even recently in the news, if if I've got that correct, that that people just fear that one day there's gonna be some meteor, some wild planet out there just hurling around space, and one day it's gonna get thrown to the earth and it's gonna be ugly. And guess what? It is going to happen. One day, one day, friends, God is going to let all orbit break loose. And He's going to allow an asteroid or a planet to be flung from heaven into this earth. You know what it's going to do? It's going to splash into the ocean. And look at what's going to happen when it happens. It says, and a third of the sea became blood. And that, if you read the book of Exodus, it's not like this hasn't happened before. Watch this. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died. But then watch this. And a third of the ships were destroyed. That means, just like any kind of catastrophic thing happens in the ocean, there will likely be tsunami-type activity that's going to take place from this asteroid hit on the earth. And it is literally going to take, can you imagine all the ships that are just out of the ocean randomly, just be profoundly affected by tidal waves that are going to destroy not only ships in the ocean, but ships at port? Now, I just want you to imagine at this point the news. And by the way, don't think everybody in the world's not going to see this because they're going to see this. Some amateur video is going to catch this, and it's going to be all over the world. But that's not even the worst thing that happens. Looking at, look at verse, the, the third trumpet, verse 10, and the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, similar to the asteroid, but smaller evidently, burning like a torch, and it fell upon a third of the rivers and the springs of waters. Now, now, now verse 8 talks about the ocean. Verse 10 now is talking about fresh water, streams, and rivers. And, and the name of the star is Wormwood. And by the way, some people interpret this to say that's when that, that is Satan. That that's not that's not true at all. Okay, this is not Satan. This is a star. Okay, it is it is an asteroid or some kind of star like it. It's going to hit the fresh water and it's going to turn the fresh water into wormwood. Now, wormwood is a, a a word used all throughout the Old Testament that simply means bitter or undrinkable. What's going to happen? God is going to allow the fresh water, one-third of the fresh water, to be contaminated by an asteroid hit. Now, number four. Look at this. Verse 12. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, and a third of them that were darkened, and a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. So you've seen the oceans hit. You've seen the land hit. You've seen fresh water hit. Now God says, now I'm going to start taking out The universe. And in some supernatural way, God is going to reduce the amount of light that can hit this earth during the day and night by one third. Now, folks, in case you're not picking up on this, this is going to be incredibly catastrophic. And this is a severe judgment upon the world. But I want you to see through this, and I'm about done, and you'll, you'll be thankful for that. There's mercy in the judgment. Now you say, how is there mercy in all this? Well, I want you to notice, I don't know if you noticed there, I didn't actually count them. In fact, the Bible I was studying from earlier this week, and I circled them all. It's not the one I'm preaching from today, but you just go down later, starting in, starting in number one, uh, verse number seven, and circle in your Bible how many times the word third is used. It's every time. A third of the ocean, a third of the fresh water, a third of the plants, a third of the trees, a third of the grass, a third of the heavens. Why only one third? Because God was opening up a measure of his judgment while still giving people an opportunity to repent of their sins. And we're going to see that next week. But folks, I'm just telling you, God's judgment at this point was not yet final. And for anybody here today, that, that, be, that, that there may be some things happening in your life that are pushing you toward God. Difficulty, stresses, problems. Maybe in your mind, judgments. Why is this happening to me? Maybe it's why you showed up at church today. Thinking to yourself, i got to figure this out. This is bad. Why hasn't God just went ahead and taken you out? The answer... He's extending mercy to you. He is trying to tell you right here and right now, trust in Jesus Christ, become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ before it is too late. My judgment at this point is minimal compared to the judgment that ultimately one day will come. Look, folks, listen, listen. Uh, the earth's water source being destroyed, the seas being destroyed, the heavens being darkened. These are all terrible things, no doubt. But can I tell you, they are nothing compared to an eternity separated from God in a terrible place called hell. And if you've not trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm telling you right now, before it is too late, let that judgment, let that stress push you to Jesus Believe upon Him, call upon His name, invite Him into your life to be your Savior today, not tomorrow, not next week, not till this all happens. And what we're going to learn ne- next week is, there's maybe somebody here says, you know what? I don't even believe all this stuff. And you're thinking, if okay, preacher, y'all are crazy. I'll have to see that. Well, guess what's going to happen in the next chapter? They see it all, and they still don't repent. Now folks, I'm telling you, the offer of salvation is open, the door of heaven is open, and there's a welcome mat on front of it that says, whosoever will, let him come. My encouragement to you today is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ before he turns his hand of judgment against those that do not believe. And I want to invite you to prayer as we consider this this morning. If your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, can I ask you this question? Is there anybody here today that would say, preacher, look, I do not know for certain if I died that I would go to heaven. I don't know that. I, I really don't. I do not know that I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but I want to know. Preacher, I, I just, this stuff's a little terrifying, a little frightening. It should be. This is your opportunity, man, to accept Jesus Christ into your life right now. The Bible says if you will call upon the name of the Lord you will be saved if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you'll be saved so today you can do that you can open up your heart like the front door of your house and you can welcome Jesus Christ into your life and I want to lead you in an opportunity to do that right here right now today just wherever you're seated God will hear your prayer one prayer he's going to hear is your prayer to ask Him to be your Savior. So right where you are, just open up your heart right now. Pray these words. Dear Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. Just pray it right now. But I believe in Jesus. Say it to Him right now. I believe in Jesus. And today, I believe you died and rose again for me. I accept you right now as my Savior. Thank you for loving me. Help me never to be ashamed of you. I watched some of you praying that prayer in your seat, and I'm thankful for that we've got a gift for you, we've got somebody that can ha- hand you some material here in just a moment how many of you would say, preacher, just now just now, I prayed that prayer I meant it I'm glad I did, I'm thankful that I just asked Jesus to be my savior if that's you, would you let me know who you are so I can get you a gift in a moment you say, preacher, that was me I just prayed the prayer, Minute, glad I did would you just show me who you are by slipping up your hand God bless you amen, amen wonderful, God bless you Thank you. Who else today? Preacher, I prayed that prayer a minute. I'm glad I did. I thank God for that. Wonderful. We rejoice with those who have believed. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for the testimony of Jesus Christ, the power of the gospel. Today, we thank you for these that have come to you. We thank you for our church, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for our new members that have come to be a part of this fellowship. It is for these things we pray in Christ's sake. Amen and amen.